You may be seated. It's good to see you guys. Um, first of all, uh, I see a lot of new faces this morning, which is really good. We're, this time of year, we're a little bit thin in here because of, of, uh, of holidays and finals and things like that. We kind of tend to get in the way of, of people making it here, but that's cool. Uh, but I do see a lot of new faces here as well, and I just want to say welcome to Kaya. This is the, the Young Adults Ministry here at Midtown Baptist Temple, and um, our really just the heart of our ministry is to train and equip young people, so just as Lisa was praying, to go into the world and share the gospel. And so many of us who call ourselves Christians profess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So many of us know so little about His Word and about what He actually wants for us as His people. And so this ministry is really just devoted to to growing familiar with what God's Word says about our lives and who it is that we should be as Christians so that we can go into the world and and be a light to people that are in darkness. Yeah? And so I also recognize that um, there's a lot of us that are a little bit out of it, just like Lisa was praying. I think think I've noticed that this morning, that people are a little bit maybe out of sorts and maybe a little bit distracted because of things like finals. I mean, who, who has to go home and study this afternoon? Okay, wow, yeah. So, I mean, that, that, that's baggage, right? You don't want to have to be thinking about that. You can't help but carry that around. You've got a project due for Dan Renault, I bet. Really, don't you? You got it done? Good girl. I mean, that man is a taskmaster. The dude cracks the whip. You guys should see Dan Renault in his, in his element in the, in the art classroom. It's no joke. Um, but real quick, before we get into the message, go ahead and be flipping to Romans chapter 11. That's where we're going to be at this morning. Um, before, we, before we get there, I want to um, briefly encourage you again to be a part of Mission Focus. This is our church's missions conference that we host every year. It's a very big deal. And I, and I want to say this, the testimony of many of you in this room is that you recognized what God was calling you to be at a Missions Focus conference. It was like at a missions focus conference, maybe it was last year or the year before that, you began to realize what it really meant to follow Christ and what it cost us and what the real point of all this was. And so I want to I encourage you, if you've never been to missions, mission focus, uh, you need to come. You need to register, you need to get online, you need to be there. Charles, if I got to come pick you up, man, I will. Okay? Um, you, need to, you need to be there. Um, and... Uh, and I'll say this, uh, uh, um, mission focus is so on my mind that I'm, I'm, beginning, I'm beginning to, I think, dream about it. I think it's beginning to affect like, how I see I don't ever remember dreams. Let me explain something to you. I don't ever remember dreams. You, you won't ever be able to, I won't ever be able to pull an illustration out of a funny dream I had, okay? The only dreams I ever remember are the dreams where I'm actually a character in the Star Wars movies. <laughs> These are the only dreams that I remember. They're the only ones that stick with me. I've, 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 I've had dreams where I had different Jedi powers, okay? Uh, but I had, I had this week, I had a Star Wars dream. And um, we're on some sort of battleship, right? It's going down. There's some sort of drama taking place. I have a lightsaber. I'm... <laughs> This is not. This is not funny. Okay. This is very serious. And I'm dressed. Um, I'm dressed according like I'm, I'm in a, some sort of Jedi outfit, right? And uh, you know, like the Kanye West clothing line. Basically, just Jedi fashion, right? Um, and, then, and then I am on the ship, and Eric Phillips is with me. 
Dead serious. Dead serious. Eric Phillips, and he's dressed just like he is right now. And so out of place, right? And Darth Vader is somewhere. And Eric and I are plotting and scheming, trying to figure out how to take out the enemy. And the dude, I mean, if, you, if you've ever seen Eric play sports, you know, it's kind of like watching someone panic. Right? And that's kind of what was taking place in the dream. But this was the dream. And I, and I attribute this to the fact that, that Eric and I are in the mission together. Yeah? And, I, and I'm so glad for that. And we are all in the mission together. I mean, and our goal is much greater and grander one than Star Wars could ever project in a, in a film or even in my dream, right? Our mission is to save souls. Not just save lives, but to save souls. That their very existence for eternity is in the balance. And, and I'm so thankful to, to do that work with Eric, okay? But I'm, I'm thankful to do that work with you. And, and, and I want you to be at Mission Focus. I want you to recognize the value of coming together um, at the table and discussing what it means uh, to see the world saved and know, and know the message of Jesus Christ. Let's go ahead and pray. Um, after that dream story, we should probably pray. Um, and ask the Lord to be with us. And then we'll get right into Romans chapter 11. Okay, Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. There's so much to cover today. And guys, to be honest with you, I guess I'm nervous about what to present to these people this morning. Um, we're coming to the end of this bit about the nation of Israel. And I've got to confess to you right now that I don't fully understand the power and the complexity of your plan for the nation of Israel. And um, I, don't even, I guess I don't know how to preach it. Um, these are a people uh, that we as Christians in America, we know so little about them. Uh, we know so little about their faith. We know so little about their life and their way of life. And, they, and oftentimes when we talk about the Jewish people, they seem so distant and far from us. But yet to you, Lord, they're near. Uh, to, to you, God, they're, they're in your heart. And uh, you value them so greatly. And we need to learn what it means to value them as well. And uh, maybe that's abstract thinking is required on our part. Uh, maybe we need to expand the way we see your gospel. Um, but Lord, we need help with that today as we look at your word. We need to, to fully understand just how grand uh, the, 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 the mission is and how big it is. And Lord, how eclectic your kingdom will be. Uh, help us this morning. Teach us from your word. Amen. Amen. So... <clears throat> First of all, we've been, we've been in Romans. In Romans, uh, as I've, I've, we've called it Understanding the Gospel. The series on Romans, the letter of, from Paul to the Roman people. We've called this uh, a series on Understanding the Gospel because the majority of the text is Paul explaining to the Roman church, okay, this early fledgling work in the city of Rome, explaining to them, all of the details surrounding the nature of the salvation of believers. Uh, people coming to know Jesus Christ. What that really means. And the first eight chapters of, of this letter to Rome is Paul laying out what it means for the individual, the person, you and me, to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and to be in relationship with Him. And all the privilege and all of the, the, the amazing things that come with knowing Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. You with me so far? So, so in the beginning, I laid this out here, chapters 1 through 8 is about our faith as individuals. Okay? 
Now, the last few months, though, we've been focusing our attention on some of the most misunderstood chapters in all of Scripture. And there are these chapters that deal with the Jewish people specifically, the nation of Israel, God's chosen people that He set aside for Himself in the stories of the Old Testament. So for a lot of you guys, you may not be real familiar with those, I mean, the, the fatter part of your Bible called the Old Testament. You might not be familiar with those stories because some of them are, do feel distant. They feel, they feel far away from us as New Testament Christians. But they're super important to understanding God's vision and His hope for the world and for the nations. And so what's happening here in this letter is Paul is writing and devoting a portion of this letter focused directly to the new Jewish believers in the church in Rome. Okay? These, these Jews that have this heritage of knowing the God of the Old Testament, but now have entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ through His death, burial, and resurrection. They've been forgiven of their sins, and they have questions about what that means for the nation. They've got questions, and Paul anticipates those questions and addresses them very clearly, very, very clearly, in, in chapters 8, I mean, sorry, 9, 10, and 11. Okay, and so in chapter 9, what we have is Paul talking to them about that heritage. And he tells, he tells them, look, just as God worked in the past in the nation of Israel, just how he preserved his people, just how he worked in Abraham and Jacob and Isaac, and, and just how he, how he worked to establish the nation of Israel of old, he's faithful to, to continue to do so. And so that's chapter 9. And, and then in chapter 10, he lays out a plan for the nation of Israel that includes individual salvation. In other words, he's saying, look, the nation of Israel, there'll be a remnant there. There'll be a people, there'll be a, a, a group of, of Jews. So that even though the nation of Israel is blind to truth and have turned their, way, uh, their backs to Jesus, there will be some who choose to follow, follow after the gospel. And the only way to do that is to, to access Christ the same way everyone else does. And that's through an individual belief, a personal belief in Jesus Christ, turning over our hearts and seeking forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And that's the plan that he lays out for us in chapter 10. And now as we enter into chapter 11, what we're beginning to discover is that God has a plan for the future Israel. Okay, that the nation will one day be redeemed and they'll come to recognize Jesus as the true Messiah. And they will, as a nation, holistically put their faith in the Messiah. Okay? And that's laid out for us here. And, and so what we did uh, as we began this conversation last week, okay? So just by way of review, what we're doing is we're dividing Romans chapter 11 into five witnesses. Five witnesses. Okay? Five testimonies in chapter 11 of how, of how God has got a plan. And the nation of Israel should have hope in God's plan to redeem them. Okay, now, some of you, especially visitors, right now are just like, oh, great. What have I just gotten into? Right? I mean, like you didn't know that any of this pertained to you. Alright, now I'm hoping that by the end of this message today, you'll understand how this does pertain to you. Even if it's at a surface level, even if you're just beginning to understand that God's plan is really big. That God's plan is really big. And a lot of times, you guys know this, that a lot of times we're so focused on self that, that, that we have a hard time seeing what God's doing even in the people's lives in this congregation. 
we look up across the pew or we look across the room and we see people and we know that we love them, but a lot of times we don't know what God's up to in their life. Because we're so focused on ourselves a lot of times. Let alone when we're talking about nations of people and God's plan for people groups and, and people in the world that don't look like us or, or come from different cultures. Sometimes we have a hard time putting ourselves in their shoes and empathizing with them and recognizing what it is that God's doing in their lives. And so, hey, hey, Gentile believer, Christians here in the New, New Testament believers here in Kansas City, okay, listen to me. God's plan extends way beyond you. And He is at work in this world doing things that we have a hard time sometimes even comprehending. And this is an opportunity in, in chapters 9, 10, and 11 to get on the same page with God, the Creator of the world, as it pertains to His plan for a future Israel. Okay? And so even if this seems difficult to understand, maybe you're not going to get everything today, that's okay. Just keep coming. Just keep coming. Every Sunday when we gather together, just come and you'll understand a little bit more about the Bible each time that you come. And you'll come to a place where you begin to understand exactly what God is up to. Can we all, can we all agree to that? Yeah. So don't, don't get lost in this. Okay, find your place. Find, find what this means to you in terms of uh, God's Word and as it convicts you. What does this mean to you and your vision for the world? And, and how God's called you to be a believer uh, in this world. So we have five witnesses here in Romans chapter 11. Okay, that for, for the Jew, spells that they give us a testimony of hope for the future Israel being redeemed. That they won't always be lost. And the first example for us was the witness of Paul. We looked at this last week. Romans chapter 11 verse 1 says, I say then, have God cast away His people? Right, that's the question on the floor. Has God forgotten the nation of Israel? Has He forgotten the Jewish people? I mean, they're not coming to know the Messiah. It seems as though their hearts are being hardened, that they're turning away from the gospel message. What's, what is the plan here? Has God forgotten His people? And it says, God forbid. And here's Paul's testimony. For I am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. And what Paul's saying here for us is he's saying, hey, look, look, for the Jewish people, they should find hope in my testimony that they too can find salvation. Because if I can be saved then the nation can be saved. If I, as an Israelite, can know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, then the whole nation can. Okay? And so, Paul's testimony itself is a, a testimony of hope that the nation can come to know Jesus Christ. And the next witness is Elijah. Romans 11, verse 2. Read with me. God hath not cast away His people, which He foreknew. What, he, he not, uh, what the Scripture saith of Elias, or Elijah... How he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed the prophets and did down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself seven thousand men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so, then, at this present time, also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it. And, rest, uh, and the rest were blinded. According as it were, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear unto this day. And David saith, Let their table be uh, made a snare and a trap, and a stumbling block, and a recompense unto them. 
Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see, and bow down that their back, uh, bow down their back always. Okay. Again, this is this is a lot. This is a lot, folks. So let so let me just say it like this. What's happening here is Paul is saying, look, the nation of Israel may as a as a nation have rejected God, but there is always a remnant that is preserved. There is always going to be a, a number of people. In the, in the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, who are choosing to follow Jesus Christ. And with that remnant comes hope. With those few Jewish people who've come to know the Messiah through Jesus Christ, there is hope for the nation as a whole. And we're going to continue to see that today. So here we are. We're going to try to cover uh, verses 11. I mean, we'll see what happens here. Okay, we're going to try to get to the end of the chapter. Um, but this is part two of our message, Israel's future redemption. And the next witness is, is the, the Gentile people. The next witness in Paul's writing is the Gentile people. Let's look at verse 11. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Speaking of the Jews again. God forbid, but rather through their fall salvation is come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. Now if the fall of them be the riches of the world, and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? Okay, so what you need to understand here is that the nation of Israel has always taken for granted the fact that that they've known God. That they've been a part of the plan from the beginning. And they've taken that fact for granted. So much so, when the Messiah that they anticipated came into the world, Jesus Christ, to set the whole world free, that the whole world might know Him. They rejected Him at His message. We don't have time to study this, but but Jesus, He came as a babe in a manger. Okay, And what was happening in in the nation of Israel, in their mind, if the Messiah was going to come, if God in flesh was going to come into this world, He was going to come as a king. Right? Riding a horse and and with people marching behind him, and he was going to claim, claim the world as his own, and that he was going to come in strength, but instead he came as a babe, right? We all know this story, right? And he, and he was despised. And he, he, out, he hung out with the most wicked people in the world, not the most important people. He made his friends with publicans and sinners and, and the most wicked and depraved people that they might be saved. And in other words, everything that they expected in the Messiah... They completely missed in Jesus. And so, in in, in their missing that, they've rejected Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and their hearts have become hard, and their eyes have become darkened. But in the midst of that, the people who did not know God, the people who never knew God, the people that were distant, in fact, were the enemies of the Jewish people, their eyes have been opened. That they might be saved. And here we stand. Here we stand. Gentile people. Black, white, brown from every nation and tribe. As you look across this room, we're a cross section of the world. Isn't that beautiful? And for most of us, most of us who don't have a Jewish lineage, okay, we've been set free in Jesus Christ by the recognition that He is the Son of God. We've been set free. And so what is the falling away of the nation of Israel for us is hope. For us is hope, is finding our, our, our purpose in Christ. 
So Israel's position is one of weakness. They're in a place of distance from God, even to today. A place of vulnerability and stumbling for 2,000 years now. But on the other hand, here we stand, Gentile believers, redeemed by the Son of God. And what God's hope and His purpose is, is that through our faith, the Gentile believers' faith, the New Testament Christians, that our faith in God and in Jesus would provoke the nation of Israel, God's original people, to jealousy. That their hearts would be pricked by our faith. Now we definitely see that the Jews are stirred by Jesus, don't we? I don't know if you remember this, but when the, 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 the passion of Christ that came out, that story came out, Jewish, uh, the Jewish people were very frustrated with that movie. Because in the movie, they're portrayed as, as the ones who instigated the death of the Messiah. Well, I'm sorry, that's, in part, that's what happened. So you can't be too angry about that. But my point is that Jesus Christ is a stumbling block and an offense to the Jewish people. And they are stirred. Now some of them to jealousy. Some of them provoked to find the Messiah. But most of them to anger. Most of them. Most of them to anger. And we see God stirring the Jews through Paul in Acts. So let's, let's look at Acts chapter 22. They are stirred. They are stirred by this message of Jesus Christ. But they are, they are stirred not to jealousy, but to rage. Not to faith, but to anger. And Paul shares in this story in Acts chapter 22, uh, in verse 21, Paul shares with the Jews, okay, the religious order, he shares with them that he is an apostle to the Gentiles. Now maybe you don't understand that. But, but what Paul is saying is like, look, I've got this message of truth. And I'm not called to bring it to you. But I'm, I'm called to take it to the scum of the earth. The most wicked and depraved. The people who do not know God at all. They've been distant from Him from the very beginning. And they are stirred not to jealousy, but to rage. Look at verse 21 of chapter 2. And He said unto me, Depart, for I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. Okay? He's explaining to them, that he's called to the Gentile people to deliver the gospel of peace. And they gave him audience unto his word, and then lifted up their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for it is not fit that he should live. And as they cried out and cast off their clothes and threw dust into the air, the chief captain commanded him to be brought into the castle and bade that he should be examined by scourging. And he might know wherefore they cried so against him. You understand what's happening here? So Paul announces the fact that he's supposed to deliver the message of Jesus Christ, whom they don't even care about, to the nation of Israel. They don't want any part of the gospel message. But they sure as heck aren't going to be happy with that message being taken to the Gentiles. It's very confusing. So apparently the Jews did not want the gospel, but they didn't want the Gentiles to have it either. So they're provoked. Not to jealousy to follow Christ, but, but they're provoked to anger. Now, this is for you, believer. This is the thing that you need to understand. For the gospel to provoke others to salvation, a couple things need to be true about you and your life. Okay, now we're talking about provocation in general. In other words, we should be delivering the message of, God, of the gospel to people. We should be provoking them to follow Jesus Christ, whether Jew or Gentile. 
Okay? Whether white or black or brown, no matter what nation they come from, okay? We should be provoking them to follow Jesus Christ. And, and a couple things need to be true of us. First of all, to provoke others to salvation, they need to see a testimony of truth in you. They need to see a testimony of truth in you. That the truth of the gospel of the message of Jesus Christ, right, is true and manifest as true in your life. In the way that you live, in the way that you carry yourself, in the way that you handle your conversation, and in, in, in the joy uh, of your countenance. They need to see in you a testimony that this message of Jesus is true. And second, they need to believe on that truth. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. In other words, what Peter is telling us is that when people see your life, they should see hope. They should see hope first. And in seeing that hope, they should inquire of you. They should be provoked to ask you of where that hope comes from. So he, here's our first key question. Does your lifestyle of faith, does your lifestyle of hope provoke the lost world to jealousy? This is a very serious question. Don't just gloss over this. This is an opportunity for you to examine your relationship to the people that you encounter on a day-to-day -day basis. The people in your workplace, the people in your classroom, the people in your dormitory, okay? The people that you come in contact with at your job, okay? Listen, when people look at you and they see your countenance, they see your face and the way that you hold yourself and the way that you speak and the way that you carry yourself from day to day, do they see in you hope? Do they see in you a level of peace and joy and comfort, even in the midst of difficult circumstances? I mean, here's the funny thing. is a lot of us, we would say to ourselves, yeah, people see that. I'm a pretty joyous person. I'm happy most of the time. Okay, wait until the trial comes. Wait until the difficulty comes. Are you still carrying yourself with joy? Wait until the depression comes and is knocking on your door. And the shadow of that is following you around. Are you going to fall prey to it? Or do you still carry yourself with hope? Now listen to me. This is very important. The Gentiles are supposed to be provoking the nation of Israel to jealousy. When they see the testimony of the Gentiles, they should be provoking them to want to follow the Messiah. But the question really is this. Is Christian, does your lifestyle of faith and hope provoke people to want to know Christ? If not, there's something the matter. There's something the matter. Let's read on. Verse 13. For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my office. In other words, he's saying, okay, now Gentiles, let me speak to you for a minute as it concerns your relationship to the nation of Israel. If by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh and might save some of them, for if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? So right there, the, the, the doctrinal application is, is that if the, if the Jewish people's falling away can be hope for the world, 
Right? If they're, if they're stumbling, can be hope for the nations? What happens if the nation of Israel actually begins to follow the Messiah? Yeah. What does that mean for the world? So that's the doctrinal application. But here's the thing that we need to ask ourselves, is that while the Christian witness of the Gentiles is intended to provoke, it should ultimately bring hope to the Jews. And this is what I mean. The testimony of hope is this. If God kept His promise to save the Gentile people, will He not keep His promise to the nation of Israel that He might establish Abraham once again. In other words, what we see throughout the whole Old Testament is God is always talking about in moments that one day He's going to save the Gentiles. And the Jews know this. The Jews know this. Even today they know this. Is that God is going to save the nations. All people will be able to come to God. Okay? Now, 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 if, if God kept His promise through Jesus Christ to redeem the Gentile people, then the Jews should be able to see that testimony and then be able to hold to the promise that one day God will redeem His special and unique people back to Himself. So let's look at the promises concerning Israel. Briefly, Isaiah 11, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 9 through 12. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in that day, there's a day that is coming, in that day there shall be a root of Jesse. We're going to talk about this root here soon. There shall be a root of Jesse which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. Now this is a time of tribulation on the earth. And we don't have time to lay this out for you in detail. And I don't even know if it would benefit you this morning. Sign up for discipleship. Take D2. And find yourself in LFBI one day. And you'll take a class on eschatology. And we'll lay all this out for you in detail. But for now what you need to know is that there's a day that's coming where God is going to work on behalf of His people in the world. A time of tribulation, a time of difficulty in the world. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set His hand again, the second time, to recover the remnant of His people, which shall be left from Assyria, and from Egypt, and from Pathros, and from Cush, and from Elam, and from Shinar, and from Hamath, and from the islands of the sea. All over the earth, His people are spread abroad. The Jewish people are spread all over the world. And there's coming a time where he gathered and recovered them unto himself. And he shall set up an ensign for the nations and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather them together. The dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Now listen to me very carefully. He's already starting this work. He's already preparing for the day when he will recover the whole. You understand? Let's look at Isaiah chapter 60 verses 1 through 5. Arise, shine, for the light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. Lift up thine eyes, speaking to the nation of Israel here, lift up thine eyes round about, and see all they gather themselves together. They come to thee. Thy son shall come from, uh, from far, and thy daughters shall be nursed at thy side. Then thou shalt see and flow together, and thine heart shall fear and be enlarged, because the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto thee. The force of the Gentiles shall come unto thee. Okay, now what we're looking at here is after the church is removed from the earth, okay, and we, are, and we who know Jesus Christ are removed. Jesus Christ 
raptures the church out. We have this time of tribulation. And the, and the Gentiles that remain that come to faith, they're going to come to the Jewish people for guidance. They're going to come to the Jews for hope because the Jews will have figured things out. That's what's being laid out here. And jump ahead to verse 10. And the sons of strangers shall build up thy walls, and their kings shall minister unto thee. For in my wrath I smote thee, but in my favor have I had mercy on thee. You see what's happening here? Therefore thy gates shall be opened continually. They shall not be shut day nor, uh, nor night. The men shall bring unto thee the forces of the Gentiles, that their kings may be brought uh, for the nation, and the kingdom that will not serve thee shall perish. Yea, nations shall be utterly wasted. The glory of Lebanon shall come unto thee, the fir tree, the pine tree, and the box together, to beautify the place of my sanctuary, and I will make the place of my feet glorious. The sons also of them that afflicted thee shall come bending unto thee, and all they that despise thee shall bow themselves. Do you guys recognize this? Before we go any further, do you know that the world despises the Jewish people? Do you guys see that when you look at the news? That, 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 I mean, I don't know if you've ever looked at this carefully. Uh, whether Nazi or not. Maybe just, maybe just a political bend of, of a certain sort. The, the world has conspired against the Jewish people for millennia. The system is built to oppress them. And yet what we're reading here is that all that's going to change. And look at verse 15. Whereas thou hast been forsaken and hated... So that no man went through thee. I will make thee an eternal excellency, a joy of many generations. That thou shalt also suck the milk of the Gentiles, and shalt suck the breast of kings, and thou shalt know that I, the Lord, am thy Savior and thy Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Okay, so this is, this is my point. Here is the witness of the Gentile nations. That we were redeemed by Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And in that, there should be hope for the nation of Israel. The promises of old will come true and that one day the nation of Israel will find themselves redeemed once again and be the shining glory of God the Father. You understand? Now really underlying all of this is this principle that we should all understand is that God keeps His promises. I mean, I don't know how many times I need to say that, but I will continue to say it, that the things that God says in His Word, they come true. And if we can put our hope in those things and plan our lives in light of these truths and these promises, then we will find ourselves in blessing. The next witness is the witness of the patriarchs. Okay? The witness of the patriarchs. Am, am I keeping your attention this morning? Yes. yes. Visitors, I'm sorry. I apologize. <laughs> I don't want this to be over your head. So make sure that you're asking questions, you're writing questions down. So that uh, Bible study leaders or your friends can, can help you answer them later. What we have next is this witness of the patriarchs. And, and so what we are going to see here is the unconditional nature of God's covenant in the examples of the patriarch, the roots of the patriarchs. Okay, when we say patriarch, this is what we mean. We mean the prophets and the leaders of the Jewish people from millennia past that God used to establish Israel. So when we're talking about the patriarchs, what we're saying, we're talking about Abraham, we're talking about Jacob, we're talking about Moses, we're talking about the prophets that we read about in the Old Testament Scripture. These are the patriarchs of the nation of Israel. They're the ones that helped establish faith. Does that make sense? 
So the faithfulness of a few, here's a principle, the faithfulness of few impacts the faith of many. That's the principle here. In other words, the faithfulness of a few people, starting with Abraham, impacts, can impact thousands and even millions of people. Do you believe that? I hope you believe that, because if you don't believe that or hope for that, then really, we as a remnant people are really in a miserable situation. We have to believe that we as ambassadors of Jesus Christ have the ability, as just a few people, look at the room, there's only, there's only a handful of us in here. We have to believe that we can impact the whole world. I mean, God does that. I mean, how many, how many disciples did Jesus train? Twelve. He trained twelve. Now, how many Christians are there, believers in the world, today? Because of, of a few, the faith of a few. The faith of just a handful. Right? We have to believe that we can have impact. And the faith of these patriarchs of the Old Testament were, were, was, was so powerful that they impact generations of people. And Paul gives us two very clear pictures of this. Verse 16. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. Uh, this is very academic. I apologize. I hope that this builds your faith. Verse 16. For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. What? Huh? What, what could that possibly mean? Okay, this is a reference to Numbers chapter 15. It's a reference to Numbers chapter 15. And we'll look at verse 17 of Numbers chapter 15. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye come into the land whither I bring you, then it shall be that, that when ye eat of the bread of the land, when I bear fruit in your land of a harvest, ye shall offer, offer up and heave offering unto the Lord a part of the land. Okay, ye shall offer up a cake of the first of your dough and heave offering as ye do the heave offering of the threshing floor, so shall ye heave it. Of the first of your dough ye shall give unto the Lord and heave offering in your generations. In other words, God took the first part of this dough. Okay, He takes the dough, like they make a cake, they make bread, this dough, and they offer it to the Lord. Okay, That might sound silly to you, but that's what they did. God asked them to. But what's happening here is the first part of the sacrifice is done in order to symbolize the sanctification of the whole. In other words, God, here's a little bit of bread for you that symbolizes the fact that every bit of our harvest this year belongs to you. All of it belongs to you. Every bit of it. Every, every bit of, of wheat that we've brought in is actually yours. And we have this little offering, this heave offering, this bit of dough that we offer to you to symbolize that, that all of it belongs to you. See, this is a principle in Scripture that if we give God the first fruits of our labor... It represents that every bit of it belongs to Him and, and will be stewarded accordingly. In other words, when we tithe and we give of our wages, okay, the fruit of our labor, and we give to the Lord, well, that's really, that's not just some sort of like arbitrary thing. Like, okay, this is the way that the church keeps the lights on. Okay, that's true. But you know what it symbolizes? It symbolizes that God actually owns all of it. That's right. That everything in your bank account, everything in your home, everything in your apartment, and every bit of clothing you're wearing right now was given to you by God and by the blessing of His very hand. 
And that when we tithe and we give back to God in order to further His mission in this world, what we're saying is, God, this is just a little bit. It symbolizes the fact that everything I have belongs to you. But this also pictures for us what God's doing in the nation of Israel. In other words, these Jews that are reading this letter to Rome, they're reading it. And they're saying, God, well, what about the nation? I mean, I know I'm saved. I'm a Jew that came to know you. But God, what about these other people? What about the rest of the nation? And God's message is this. For now, it's just a lump, but one day, it'll be the whole thing. The remnant is just a bit that symbolizes the fact that I'm going to redeem the whole. Do you understand? God receives only the part of Israel that comes to Christ through faith. He has postponed His work in the nation. But there will come a day where He stirs them to repentance and Christ will claim the whole of Israel. That's what this means. Does that make sense to everyone? Nodding in your head is always very helpful for me. Especially when I don't know if I'm making any sense. Just nod your head. Okay? I have had people nod their head like this at me in the message. And that does something. It mainly just discourages me. So don't do that. But if you understand, nod your head. Okay? Now let's look at the rest of this picture. And... Uh, what we're going to look at here is, an, is, a, is a, he, so he flips the switch here and he moves to another picture. We talked about this lump of dough, but he wants to explain the nation of Israel in other terms now. Okay, verse 16, the second part, it says, and if the root be holy. Now earlier we talked about the root of Jesse, but when we're talking about the root, what we're talking about is the faith of the patriarchs. Okay, if the root be holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou, being a wild olive tree, were grafted among them, and with them partakest of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. Okay, let's hit pause there. Let's hit pause. What we're talking about here is a picture type of what's happening between the Jews and the Gentiles. Okay? So let's look at this real quick. Before we go any further, I want you to see the next slide should lay out for us the picture types here. So first of all, the root is a picture type of Abraham, the father of the faith, the patriarchs of old, the, the ones who established faith in the nation of Israel. You with me? That's what the root is here in the picture. So the roots of a tree, right? That's the evidence that a seed was formed, a seed of faith formed, and built out these roots, and they established a work that became branches and a tree, right? Okay? So what we see is that the branches are the natural branches, the seed of Abraham's family, the Jewish people. You with me? And so the roots grew, and they formed branches, and this, this is the faith of the Jewish, Jewish people. Okay? Now what's happened in light of the Messiah, in light of the falling away of the Jewish people, is that some of those branches are removed. Okay? The ones that don't come to faith in Christ, they're removed from the tree. They're cut off. And what you have is a wild olive tree that symbolizes the Gentiles, that's us, the ones that weren't naturally a part of this faith system. The ones that didn't know God naturally, we were turned away from Him. And every bit of our culture and our heritage was wicked and turned away from the Lord. But now, God has taken of this wild tree and grafted us in among the righteous tree. That's what's happened. And so, so we are the branches of the wild olive tree that are grafted in. They don't belong in terms of the national uh, uh, and, and religious terms 
but are made to belong spiritually because of faith in Jesus. Yeah? Galatians chapter 3, verse 6 says, Even as Abraham believed God, it was accounted to him for righteousness. righteousness. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. In other words, what we know is that because we come into faith with God, we become children of Abraham. Now, not in terms of, uh, of heritage. We're not Jews now. Okay? Not in terms of, 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 of the heritage or the, or the nationalistic nature of the nation of Israel. But in terms of faith and spirituality, we are just as the Jewish people who followed Christ of old. Or followed God of old, right? Does that make sense to everyone? We've been grafted in. We don't really belong, you know? And you know the funny thing about this, this act of grafting? I'm not, I'm not a horticulturist. Okay? Is that the right term? Yeah. <laughs> I knew a big word. I'm always looking, when I'm using the fancy words, to like Melissa and Connor to nod their head to make me feel good about myself. <laughs> Okay, but the idea is this, is that, um, you know, in terms of, of, I guess, this is what I've read, um, this idea of grafting branches, this is, this is an art form of sorts, but uh, a, a, a good branch in a wild tree actually makes the tree um, conform. Okay, so like if you, if you have a wild tree of some sort and you graft you graft good branches into it, it can actually promote proper growth and it can domesticate that plant and make it fruitful. Interesting, huh? But the, the opposite um, isn't usually true. In other words, if you take a wild branch and you put it into a good tree and you graft it into that plant, it doesn't usually pr produce goodness. This speaks to the miracle of what God has done in us. You understand? It doesn't usually produce fruit. That wild branch doesn't actually come to grow to be good. So here's the picture for us. is that God has done a miracle in that we can be fruitful, grafted in to the, to the root of Abraham. We can, be, we can be made fruitful and faithful even though we never belonged in the first place. Okay, so here's the deal. Look at verse 18. Boast not against the branches, the Gentile people. Boast not against the Jews. Don't be proud. Don't be arrogant. There's no room for, for, for New Testament believers, Gentile Christians, to be arrogant concerning their faith. Boast not against the branches, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Thou wilt say that the branches were broken off, that I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief they were broken off. And thou standest by faith. That's pure grace on God's part. That's, That's pure grace that we get to be a part of this greater, grander mission in this world. We get to be a part of what God is doing. Be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed lest he also spare not thee. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fell severity, but toward thee goodness, if thou continue in his goodness, Otherwise, thou shalt be cut off. Now, let's be very careful here. Let's be very careful here. This is not a passage about losing your salvation. Okay, Once you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, folks, God has sealed you until the day of redemption. His Holy Spirit dwells in you. He calls you a child. 
You're part of his family. You cannot lose your salvation. This passage here has nothing to do with individual salvation or the loss thereof. Yeah? This has nothing to do with it. Romans actually already addresses this. In chapter 8 and verse 38, he says, Paul says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, there's not anything that can get in the way of your salvation. You can't lose it. Once you come to know Jesus Christ, you belong to Him, whether you like it or not. He owns your rear. Okay? And so you might, might as well just be you know, determined to follow. Right? The context here is nations. Okay? The Jewish people and the Gentile people. That's the context here. It's important uh, to note that the Bible speaks of Israel as three different types of tree. And this will be probably the last thing you have to look at. So follow with me closely. There's three different types of tree that we see God used to be a picture. God likes pictures a lot. Did you know that? He likes these pictures because they help us to better understand things, right? Like that whole business with the roots. And, okay, now the point is, is this: God talks about the nation of Israel in terms of three different trees in the Bible. The first one is the fig tree, which represents the national privilege of Israel. This is all good. This is like this is upper level stuff, y'all. Okay, so write this stuff down, man. Okay, don't forget this. Put this in the the, the notes off to the side in your Bible. The fig tree represents the national privilege of the nation of Israel. The vine, we often see God talking about the nation of Israel in terms of the vine. And the vine represents the spiritual privilege of the nation of Israel. Now what we're looking at is the olive tree. And the olive tree represents the religious privilege of the nation of Israel. Okay? They're all different pictures for us. So in this case, we see Paul addressing the Jews and the Gentiles in terms of religious privilege. Okay? These people groups, the Jews and the Gentiles, the Jews have temporarily lost their religious privilege. They've been removed from the tree. Previously, those privileges afforded them uh, many, many blessings. But after the crucifixion and the refusal of the gospel message, they were removed from that privilege. So we need not fear the loss of our salvation, but we need to be aware that God uh, could and will easily remove the Gentiles in terms of our religious privilege. Does that make sense? That as Gentile Christians, God can remove us just as easily as He removed the Jews, as a people. And that religious privilege can be taken for us. So we have no right to despise the Jews, okay, but rather regard them in terms of their national and spiritual privilege. Regard them, take note, knowing that God has a special people. So here, here's a key point. We must never underestimate the privilege of our salvation. And we do. We do. We take it for granted. We don't think about it every day. We get up, we go to work, we live. We don't think about what we have in Jesus Christ. We don't take note of what God had to do to bring us, the Gentile people, into His family. What it cost Him. We don't think about that. You know the Son of God died Bled out. I mean, read the account. It's pretty horrendous. It costs God a lot. It costs God a lot. And it's a privilege for us to be grafted into this story. The story of a kingdom, to be brought into this. It's a great privilege. Verse 23, And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. 
For if thou wert cut off the olive tree, which is wild by nature, or graft uh, contrary to the nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these, which be the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? So lastly, in conclusion, if God could graft in the wild branches, then he can just as easily graft back in the natural ones. That's right. And guess what? He will. Amen. He's going to. He's going to. Now, I need you guys to go to the end of the slideshow because I want to share a couple verses and then we're going to pray. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Go to that slide for me. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now listen. This is for us, guys. You ready? You ready? What I'm about to tell you is going to inform the way you live, the way you see God's Word, and how you see the world. You with me? Genesis 12, 1. Now the Lord has said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country, and from, the, uh, from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee. And make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Now listen, this is for us. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Okay? Now we are those nations. Now listen to me. Our blessing is absolutely, as the Gentile Christians in this world, our blessing is absolutely connected to how we treat and how we understand and how we pray for and how we come alongside the Jewish people. Now I know for a fact that this is a huge part of Deb's heart and her ministry. And many of us, especially those of you who've been to Israel recently or in the past, and you've seen what God's doing there, and your eyes have been awakened to what God is doing, your heart, many of us in this church, our heart is to be a blessing to the nation of Israel. And a blessing means being a light. It's being there with the gospel to feed it to the people. Psalms 122.6 Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That's a command, you see? That's a command. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They, sh- uh, they shall prosper that love thee. Peace be within thy walls and prosperity within thy palaces. For my brethren and companions' sakes, I will now say, Peace be within me. Because of the house of the Lord, our God, I will seek thy good. Isaiah 62.1 For Zion's sake will I not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest, until, until the righteousness thereof go forth as brightness and the salvation thereof as a lamp that burneth. Guys, we have to be devoted in terms of prayer and lifestyle and thinking and, 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 and sacrifice in the words of our mouth to spreading the gospel to the whole world. And that includes the people of God, the nation of Israel. We, we have a responsibility here. And some of you might today recognize that you haven't done a very good job of regarding the nation of Israel as God's people. And it's time to maybe change that. Maybe it's time to change the way that you give. Maybe it's time to devote some of your sacrificial giving in terms of missions, to helping us as a church spread the gospel in the nation of Israel, among the Jewish people. We have ministries that we provide money to, um, to help them in this work. We do that as a church. And some of you maybe need to consider that. But most importantly, what you need to do is be faithful to the gospel and faithful in terms of prayer. That's your responsibility. And we we shouldn't take that lightly. You hear me? So we didn't get to cover all the witnesses. We still have the witness of God to cover. Okay? And, I'm, and I, again, I, I don't apologize for the Word of God. What I apologize for is that sometimes this content is difficult if you don't know the Bible very well. But this is what I'll say. Is that I have no choice. But when I come to a passage like this, to teach it and teach it the right way. Amen. And so, 
Um, if you have questions, please ask them. But listen, we need to recognize who God's made us to be. And it is a very special privilege for us to call ourselves Christian. It is a very special privilege to say that we are children of Abraham. Let's not be arrogant in our faith, but let's be humble. Let's do the right work. Are you with me? Yes. So I don't know what the invitation is. Sorry. But if you have something that you need to work through in terms of faith, let's do that now. Okay? I'm going to pray. And if, uh, if the, the worship team wants to do this, that would be great. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your promises are true. I thank you that just as you brought me to, into to faith, Lord, that you delivered me from a life of darkness and wickedness,